It was an historic evening in the NFL, marred by controversy. More on that in a minute, but first, if James Harden is the only person playing for the Houston Rockets, is he still going to score 50 points, and are they still going to go 500? This is Jake No Prisoners. You'd have to go back to before December 11th of last year to see a basketball game played by the Houston Rockets in which James Harden does not score 30 points. Coincidentally, that right around that same amount of time as in the last time you could see what the Rockets were supposed to look like when the season began. Now, I don't want to take anything away from James Harden and what he's been able to accomplish over this last stretch of several games. Clearly, the reigning MVP has still has a burr in his saddle and is trying to let everybody know about it and, and has just has been absolutely pouring it in while everyone around him seems to be falling like flies. I mean, this was a team that was meant to be a championship contender. They were going to go up against the, the Warriors. It was going to be Houston. It was going to be Golden State. It was going to be points galore. We were expecting the star power and the firepower. We were going to have the likes of Carmelo Anthony, Chris Paul, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant. And the list goes on and on of all these players that were going to be there. Well, now it seems that Houston's not even going to hold up its end of the bargain. First of all, Carmelo Anthony... He was out of here after 10 games. The guy did not fit in with uh, Houston's plan, and they decided that they were going to move on. And, you know, in the press, they say it was an amicable split, but, you know, if I, if I were to venture a guess, I would say not so much. If you're going to bring in a guy like a Carmelo Anthony, it reminds me of uh, the old Allen Iverson situation where he's he's talking to the press about how he doesn't know any MVPs that that come off the bench or any scoring champions that come off the bench and right wrong or indifferent he has a bit of a point and I can see that I mean Carmelo Anthony being a, a gold medalist uh, a multiple time gold medalist and, and being just one of the the best pure scorers in the game I can see how it'd be frustrating but the problem is with the team like the Houston Rockets is he was the fourth option in that team. See, that you have Harden, who's going to get, apparently, at least 30 a night. You've got Chris Paul, who's going to distribute the ball evenly and two who's open. He's not the type of player to, to just force a pass for the, for the sake of doing it. And then you've got Clint Capella, who is down low, and that's a, that's a, a better option. You know, high, high percentage shots at the basket. There's not a coach alive that's going to turn that down. So whether you're shooting a two, from 25 feet away like Carmelo Anthony is, or shooting a two from two feet away like Clint Capella is, that's a pretty obvious choice if you're if you're looking at just sheer the sheer probability of that basket going in. So Carmelo Anthony, 10 games in Houston, hit the road. Now that's that's all well and good. They they struggled. The the Rockets kind of stumbled out of the gate and and they weren't doing so well. Uh, but then Chris Paul went out. And he went out right before Christmas on the 22nd, and it seemed like that was the, the, the one thing that the Houston Rockets needed to write the course, because right after Paul went out, they rattled off six consecutive victories, capped with a 135-134 overtime win at Oracle Arena on January 3rd. So even into this month, the Houston Rockets were, were taking down the Golden State Warriors. It was not unfeasible that this was going to be a realistic thing. 
but it just doesn't seem like it's going to happen. I mean, yeah, the, the Rockets are sitting there at the top of their division in the Southwest, but they're still the fourth seed. I mean, they're, they're battling with Portland right now over who's going to have advantage in that 4-5 that matchup in the Western Conference Finals. So I, James Harden has been absolutely putting this team on his back over the past several games, even with the fact that they've been up so up and down. They've been 14-5 and five since he started this 30-point tear way back when in December. So more interesting things about this run. So Carmelo's been out since November. Chris Paul has been out since December. And the only other person that he could really count on at this point was Clint Capella. And Clint Capella went out with thumb surgery on the 13th of January, and he's going to be out six to eight weeks. Now, this might not sound like that big of a deal, but when you take 20, 20 points and 10 rebounds off the floor, like that's, that's a big deal. And not only that, I mean, Clint Capella, is, he's, he's a shot changer and a shot blocker. As I mentioned, he's a solid rebounder, and he's a guy that, you, that can get you a basket close to the hoop when you need it. He seems to have that, that knack for timely baskets. And that, that's something I've, I've appreciated about his game. Is like whenever the Rockets need a basket, Capella's got that offensive rebound and he puts it back in. And as someone who is a Blazers fan, that absolutely drives me up the wall. <laughs> so, But looking at this, I mean, James Harden has been unconscious for the past month and a half. And I, I wanted to look, look through his stats to see what really has changed. And, and really, he's only increased his his time on the floor from 37 minutes to a game to 39. Now that may not sound like a lot, but when you realize that these are the breaks that are usually given to players at the end of quarters, then you start to realize that the rest that he's getting when he gets that minute break is amplified by television mostly, but you take that time out and the quarter break is a whole other minute that he gets to sit there and rest but if he has to play, he's coming in hot. He has to sit down. They're going over strategy. It's it's a it's less time, and it's starting to. I think it will start to wear down on James Harden. But let's look at the stats because we can talk about whether a guy is good or not good based on any sorts of things. But I went and I wanted to see how his game had changed from the time when he was on the floor basically by himself with uh, Houston's finest rec league team or when he had what was considered to be the new Big Four out in Houston. So if I'm going off of prior, the month of December, these are his statistics out of, this, out of the month of December, James Harden shot 10 of 23 from the field, 5 of 13 from behind the arc, and 10 of 12 from the free throw line. Now that's 43% from the field, 36% from, from three, and 85% from the free throw line. Uh, compare that to what he's done in January, and he's 13 for 30 from the from the field overall, 6 of 17 from 3, and 12 of 14 from the line. So comparatively, his, his stats are roughly the same. James Harden shoots and makes f- about 43-44% of his shots. He's just taking more of them. And for, I mean, that makes sense, right? You look at it, if, if there's no Chris Paul, there's no Clint Capella, there's no Carmelo Anthony, the scoring's got to come from somewhere, and it may as well come from the best guy on the team to score the ball. Maybe the best guy in the league to score the ball. When it co- and I'll say this, 
I think there are best players at things in the league. I mean, of course, that goes without saying. I think James Harden is the best at putting the ball through the basket. And that's that's a very specific thing. I, I don't much care for the way he dribbles or doesn't dribble. Um, but I do think that as far as putting the ball in the basket, he's the most dynamic, creative, and innovative scorer in the league. But that being said he's not really doing much more. If you look at the stats that he has in the additional three minutes of game time that he's playing, he's, he's going one for four from behind the three point arc and he's going three from seven overall. Now that's not, that's not great numbers, but it's more than what you need. You need more than that coming out of the, the primary engine that runs your offense. You just got to have more than that. This is also a fun statistic. When you break down a typical Houston Rockets game of the now 40, 40, 40 minutes that James Harden is spending on the floor in the middle of the season, he's putting up a three-pointer every 26.3 seconds of game time. Now, this is, this is the new NBA. This is not the 90s uh, elbows and, and layups as the way it used to be. I mean... If you look at the game most recently that the Rockets played against the the Lakers, it was a 138 to 134 affair. I mean, there are coaches, old school coaches who are rolling over in their graves hearing about these these point totals. But that's the NBA we live in these days. 20 every 26 seconds. Now keep in mind a shot clock is 24 seconds. So all things considered, it's feasible that every single possession one team would use the entire shot clock, and then James Harden would run down the floor and shoot a three, and practically nothing about the way James Harden would play the game would change. He's still attempting a three-pointer every 26.3 seconds. It's absolutely wild to me to think that James Harden is likely to have back-to-back MVP years and have nothing else to show for it. I, I'm, I'm going to go back a little bit to kind of what I said with Mahomes, and, and that seemed to, to go the way I'm, I'm kind of trending towards here with what I'm having to say. The MVP is a regular season award. I've, I've said it once before, and this is twice now I've said it on the show. It has very little to do with the postseason and how sports are played in the postseason. Yeah, fantastic. You did a great job proving that your team, that you were a very valuable member of your team. But every single person who watched the playoffs, the NBA playoffs last year, and saw what LeBron James was able to do, take that team of misfits, which is now living in the dwell in the cellar, the cellar dwellers, uh, down there in Cleveland, he was able to take that team to the NBA Finals. That I feel as though the postseason has to be factored in moving forward when you're talking about who is the most valuable player at the end of the season. And speaking of MVPs, the Los Angeles Rams advanced to the Super Bowl after the most absurd pass interference and no call in, in what I would consider the history of postseason football. I haven't seen every postseason football game, but this has to be the worst no call in the history of no calls in the postseason. This has to be the worst blown call in the history of calls. And now I have like I have a, a fight in this. I've watched the fail Mary as a Seahawks fan. 
All right, so I know what bad officiating looks like when I see it, and that was absolutely the worst call I have ever seen in my life. Bill Vinovich and his crew should be absolutely ashamed of themselves. Look, there's this thing that happens when you work in a job and you screw something up royally. When you screw it up so badly that it's no longer your problem. That's essentially what happened when the NFL head of officials, Alberto Riverone, called Sean Payton, the head coach of the New Orleans Saints, to tell him that they blew the call. Bill Vinovich and his crew were so bad that, that their boss had to call and apologize and basically say, sorry, your season's over, and sorry, you're missing out on $225,000. Yeah, more on that here in a minute. But this is absolutely one of the worst plays I've ever seen. Roby doesn't even come around, excuse me, Roby Coleman doesn't even come around, get his head around to get to the ball. Not only did they miss the pass interference on the play, they missed the helmet-to-helmet contact on the play. So there were two fouls that could have been called on the play. When, when they were asked why he didn't throw the flag on the pass interference, the side judge... Keep in mind, he's 35 yards away from the the ball when it left Drew Brees' hands. Said that he thought the ball might have been tipped. He thought the ball might have been tipped. Now, that's all well and good. If the ball coming out looked like a lame duck, if it was an awkward throw, I, I could see that. I would allow that. That didn't happen. Drew Brees threw that ball on a dime. That ball was right where Tommy Lee Lewis was supposed to be. If he puts his hands up, that's it's a first down, if not a touchdown. And, and Roby Coleman just blasts right through him. No foul on the play. Thanks for coming. Tip your waitress on the way out. It, it's just unbelievable that such a call that's so easily made goes by the wayside. And if you don't think that this is going to change, guess who's on the competition committee? Sean Payton. They've been pushing for years. It's been a major point of conversation. Adding to review, expanding review, making it so you can do more things with review. Maybe taking out some of this hard language that that we've put into it because why because we're the nfl and this is what we like to do things must be done a certain way and if they aren't well that's just not football well guess what we have the technology now okay we have the technology to be able to see whether or not the guy touched it if you can look from an angle say yeah that's a catch or in this case yeah that was pass interference and it should be first and goal with less than two minutes to go so i mentioned $225,000. There was a story going around on Reddit that I saw on the Saints subreddit that Sean Payton came into a a meeting pulling a cart with $225,001 bills on it and the Lombardi Trophy from 2009. He walked in and uh, the, the the way it's reported says that you could have heard a pin drop in the room. And Sean Payton says... You want this, then win three effing games. And they don't get to do that now. They don't get to collect that $225,000 and potentially that, that Lombardi trophy because someone thought the ball was tipped and then would not go back 
and review it with his teammates. Yeah, I consider the referees a team. If, if you can call a holding penalty from 40 yards down the field, then you can have someone else say, you know, man, that guy sure looked like he was interfered with. And whether it was Jim Joyce taking away Armando Galarraga's perfect game, or it's Joey Crawford in the NBA doing whatever it is he decides to do over the course of a game. I remember watching a game, he called two technical fouls on Tim Duncan, of all people. And when they went to the film, it appeared that Tim Duncan was just sitting on the bench, which is what Tim Duncan was wont to do when he was on the bench, just kind of sit there. But Joey Crawford decided that the game was about him and that he wasn't going to get shown up. And I think that's one of the biggest problems with, with sports right now is the supposed infallibility of the referee. If referees would just come out and say, hey, you know what, we're human and we make mistakes, but we're doing our best, I'm willing to bet not only would people be more lenient on referees, but refereeing would become a lot easier. And here's what I mean by that. I'm not saying that say allowing faults into what you're doing will make for a better product. But what I'm saying is that if you allow for the idea that maybe you didn't see the whole picture, maybe someone else had a better view. Maybe one of these other people who are also paid to be here and officiate the rules of the game, maybe they saw something a little bit differently than you did. And maybe you should listen to them. But it seems that, especially in baseball, baseball is the absolute worst in this regard. Uh, football recently has gotten better about referees coming together. But basketball and baseball, they the referee makes a decision. And there are times whoever's whistle is louder, in the case of the NBA, is where is who gets the call. It's like, no, 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 I've got a foul first. Okay, well, you're 40 feet away from it, and I'm right here. Allow for the fallibility of referees, and refereeing will improve. Oh, and for news posterity's sake, the Rams won the NFC Championship game. We're all very impressed and proud we are of all of you. Good job. On the other side, we had the AFC Championship game, which at, at first looked like it was going to be a slobber knocker. as how it was promised, how it was pitched to us. And then it looked like it was going to be the Patriots just running roughshod all over this a, a terrible, what, what is an absolute terrible Kansas City defense, which then became the Patrick Mahomes show, which then became the Tom Brady show, and then back to the Mahomes show, and then it was Brady being the first quarterback in NFL history to get three overtime wins in the postseason and go to the Super Bowl again. Yep. But it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have happened. It almost very nearly didn't go down that way. With less than a minute to go, the Kansas City Chiefs picked off Tom Brady and it looked like that was all she wrote. The Chiefs were going to take a knee and we were going to have the Chiefs and the Rams, a, a matchup again that we had already seen once before this year. The it wrote itself until it suddenly didn't. D. Ford lined up in the neutral zone in the mo most pivotal play in the season for a very maligned Kansas City defense. And being offside cost them their trip to the Super Bowl. Now, this the one with the Saints, 
there's still some conjecture there. It is possible that the Saints don't score there. It is possible they don't make a field goal, but you're inside the 10-yard line. The odds are drastically in your favor that you're walking out of this game with a win. The Chiefs had the ball with less than a minute, and the Patriots had no timeouts. This game was over. All that has to happen is go. Is Patrick Mahomes take a knee a couple times, and we're talking about the rookie who took it to Brady. And that's the that's what I'm opening this show with. Not not James Harden, but I'm so mad about football. I had to open with basketball. That's why we're here now, talking about Tom Brady at the end of the show, because here he is again in the Super Bowl. He's been in the Super Bowl more years than he hasn't at this point. It feels like, and that's possibly even true. As a journalist, there's a saying that we're always rooting for the story. When you sit and you watch a, uh, watch a game, people ask a journalist, hey, who are you rooting for? Well, I'm rooting for the most interesting story because that's what most benefits me. It's also a really clever way to hide the fact that you have any rooting interest. Me, I don't hide the fact that I have rooting interests. It makes life more fun that way. But if I was looking for the most interesting story, then by all means, I think Mahomes and Breeze, that would have been the most interesting story. Now we have a new one. Can Tom Brady make this whole thing come full circle, seeing as how he won his first Super Bowl against the Rams? All the way back 17 years later, it's the Rams and it's the Patriots for the Super Bowl once again, just like the way it started with Tom Brady. After the Jets' Mo Lewis took Drew Bledsoe out of the game, giving Tom Brady his fateful chance and, and putting him out there on the field. But hey, next week, stay tuned on Jake No Prisoners. We will be previewing the Super Bowl and we'll be seeing who I think is going to win it, more of who I will be rooting for to lose it, and uh, why I will be hate-watching this game. I do think it'll be a good one. Make sure you're checking us all out here on Anchor.fm, my show, AJ. That is the flagship podcast of the Red Arrow Radio Network. That's my show with Alex and Jake. This has been Jake No Prisoners. Good night, universe.